you will see consistent themes throughout Scripture. God is definitely, he's the same yesterday, today, and forever. The Bible tells us that. Last week, we launched into this new series entitled In the Beginning. It's going to be four weeks, so this is week two of four. It's not like God messed up. It's not like he created things in the beginning, and then he was like, oh, man, I messed up. I made a mistake. That's not the case. So sometimes we love, as I said last week, we love the book of Revelation. Like, how, does thing, how do things end up? But how about the book of Genesis? Like, where did it begin? Because if that was perfect, where God wanted to create things in the beginning, it's, it's still a pretty good plan. So I want to see, like, what, what, did he, what did he do? Let's look at scripturally in the beginning what he did. And so we just want to pray as we dive into this tonight. Lord, thank you so much for your word. Uh, you know, we could gather together and we could have speeches and just enjoy one another's company. And I think that's a part of church. But there's something to be said about the word, the word that provides this instruction for our lives. That's why I love these Wednesday night gatherings where we get together and we, and we dive into scripture that gives us instruction for daily living. And so thank you for your word and help us tonight as we study it. In your name we pray. Amen. So check out this consistent theme in the beginning of Genesis. I'm going to fly through these and tell me this is name that theme. Genesis 1-5. God called the light day and the darkness night and evening passed and morning came, Megan, the first day. Genesis 1-8. God called the space sky and evening passed and morning came, Megan, the second day. Verse 13. Evening passed and morning came, making it the third day. 19, evening passed and morning came, making it the fourth day. Verse 23, evening passed and morning came, making it the fifth day. 31, then God looked over all he made. He came and said it was very good. And evening passed and morning came, making that the sixth day. Like you flunked this test. We got problems. What is the thing? It's every single verse said evening passed, morning came, making that whatever day. Right off the bat, with every act of creation, God speaks a message to his people that we can still cling to today. There's a consistent theme with God, and that's this. Darkness always passes, and the morning light comes and brings a new day and new hope every day. <laughs> no matter what he created, this happened... In darkness, and it says, and it came, it went, and morning came, and every single day, we have this hope that no matter how dark the situation is, this too shall pass. And that's why Lamentations, what does it say in 323? Great is his faithfulness, his mercies begin afresh every morning. No doubt in my mind that that writer was connecting the faithfulness with the day. Why? Because every day that that sun rises... And that sun sets, and that sun rises, and that sun sets. We see an element of God that is consistent and faithful. And he's consistent, and he's faithful. And the rain falls on the just and the unjust. And we have good days, and we have bad days. And there's darkness sometimes, but the darker the night, the brighter the light that comes in the morning. And he says, I said to myself, the Lord is my inheritance, therefore I will hope in him. That rising sun speaks a message about our creator of his consistency, and his consistency, the light overtakes darkness. In verse 5, God called the light day and the darkness night, and evening passed and morning came, making it the first day. There's power even in the sentences of this verse. Sometimes we just read this, yeah, yeah, okay, get it done, move on. But when you stop, there's so much power even in that. 
God called or named something. This shows power and authority. He is the one who names creation. Just like you, if you had children, who named your children? Well, it probably was you. If not, tell me the story after church about who named your child. Because you have authority and power to name, to place a, this is how you are going to be defined the rest of your life. Because you have power and authority as that parent. And here God says, I created this and I named it. I created this and I named it. God has all power and all authority over all creation. And then he also has the power over the sea and the water. Verses 9 and 10, it says, Then God said, Let the waters beneath the sky flow together into one place, so dry ground may appear. And this and that's what happened. God called the dry ground land and the waters seas, and God saw that it was good. Again, here he is saying, I created that and I named it. I have all authority. But not only did God create this and name this, check this out. Other ancient cultures of that day viewed the sea as a hostile force. If you study this, if you've ever heard this, ancient cultures, the sea was a hostile force. Even in Paul's day, he's traveling, and, and the people he were traveling with were just scared to death. Not, not even just of the storm, but of the hostile force of the spiritual realm of the sea. And, 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 and so there was a reverence, almost a fear of it. But the Genesis account gives us a picture of God. It says, I created it, and I name it, meaning what? I control both. And so... He comes out and says that, and, and he puts waters in their place, and he named the sea and land. He's the one who formed boundaries over the things that other people feared. I'm going to say that again because that's a good statement. God is the one who forms boundaries around the things that other people fear. So, what are you afraid of today? What makes you nervous? What brings anxiety into your life right now? What is it? is it? Is it a health situation, a financial situation, a physical situation, a job situation? A, a, is it something with your child? What is it that brings fear and anxiety into your life? What's bothering you in this world right now? We serve a God who puts things in their places. He forms boundaries over the things that strike fear in the lives of other people. So you serve a God that whatever it is that is bringing anxiety and fear and discomfort to you right now, he forms boundaries around that. He's in control. And that's why scripture says hundreds and hundreds of times, fear not, 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 fear not. Other than the fear of the Lord, we never will see a time in scripture where God says, I, want, I command my children to live in fear. Never. Then you move to the other pieces of creation and the other, the other cultures would even, they would even worship the sun and the moon. Even in Egyptian culture, they had the God of the sun, the God of the moon. And so they would form the, oh, worship unto these celestial beings. But look at verse 16 in Genesis 1. Genesis 1. God made two great lights, the larger one to govern the day and the smaller one to govern the night. He also made the stars. Look it up sometime. Other cultures would actually worship the sun and moon. But in Genesis, notice, the names sun and moon are not even given here in this creation account. They simply are called the larger one 
and the smaller one. Not including their names was probably intentional because why? It was a message to the ancient cultures about these aren't gods. It's a larger one and a smaller one. God spoke these things into existence. I'm not even calling them by name because they're under his dominion and authority. Then it comes time to make humankind. And in the process, we're now faced with a theological question on the wording of the passage in Genesis 1. Genesis 1:26, God said, let us make human beings in our image to be like us. Who in the world is he talking to? They will reign over the fish and the sea, the birds, the sky, livestock, wild animals, small animals, scurry on the ground. But let us make man in our image, humankind in our image. And this is where no disrespect to any denominational belief or any approach to scripture, um, any Christological view. But this is where some Trinitarians will say that God was counseling with his son and the father was counseling with the son in making this decision. Now, scripturally, what I believe and teach very clearly in the scripture is there was no pre-existent son. Jesus takes on his humanity. God becomes manifest in flesh when he enters into the womb of Mary, and Mary gives him his humanity. God gives him a deity, and we have 100% God, 100% man, as he is born of a woman. Jesus did not exist as a demigod or a co-equal, co-eternal God hanging around in heaven in in three co-eternal, co-equal parts. And so, I don't believe this is the case. And so, he could have been counseling with his own will. If anyone, if you've ever said, well, let's see. Technically, you're saying, let us see, even though you're talking to yourself. As long as yourself doesn't answer, right? And so, you say, let's see, let us see. But I, I don't even think that's the case. Dive into the passage a little bit. Right off the bat, we have to note that the Bible uses singular pronouns to refer to God hundreds and hundreds of times. And in this instance, look at the next verse. Because sometimes it's always, context is always important. You can't just one, you know, people will grab one verse and start a whole religion off of one verse. Read what happened prior. Read what happened after. And understand the whole context of the, of the passage. And so God created human beings in his own image, in the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. It clearly states God was the one who created them. Singularly, by himself. Let us make man in, in our image. Next verse says, and God created them. God was not having to work with a co-eternal, co-equal being. He did not have to consult with anybody. He had all authority. It says, he said, let us do this, and then God did it by himself. And again, in verse 7, at Genesis 2, 7, the Lord God formed the man from the dust of the ground. He breathed the breath of life into man's nostrils and became a living person. God did that by himself. No one was there to help him. It was him alone. So we must reconcile the plural of 126 with the singular of 127 and 2-7. I don't want to just ignore this like it doesn't exist. Like, let's talk about this. So why the plural? Well, the Jews traditionally interpret this passage as God talking to angels. Because angels had a heavenly celestial being, and he said, let us make man in our image. 
This does not imply that the angels actually took part in creation, that they had authority in creation, that he needed angels' permission to do this. God did this, and we have scriptural precedent, even our legal system. They look to precedent for decisions. We can look to precedent in other parts of scripture. God did this in at least one other place in the Bible. In 1 Kings 22, 19 to 22, it says that Micaiah uh, continued, listen to what the Lord says. I saw the Lord sitting on his throne with all the armies of heaven around him, on his right and on his left. The Lord said, who can entice Ahab to go into battle against Ramoth Gilead so he can be killed? There were many suggestions. So you, we're, we're getting a picture of a heavenly gathering, a heavenly host where God is consulting with heavenly beings and most likely angels in this circumstance. And finally, a spirit approached the Lord and said, I can do it. How will you do this, the Lord said, and the Spirit replied, I will go out and inspire all of Ahab's prophets to speak lies. You'll succeed, the Lord said, go ahead and do it. Wow. Interesting. Here the Lord solicited the suggestions of the heavenly host of angels around him. And we know angels were present at the time of creation because Job tells us in 38.4, where were you when God starts to get in Job's face a little? He says, where were you when I laid the foundations of the earth? Tell me if you know so much. Who determined its dimensions and stretched out the surveying line? What supports its foundations and who laid its cornerstone? As the morning stars sang together and all the angels shouted for joy. So scripturally, we see angels were present at the time of creation. God's going, Job, where were you in the beginning of creation when all this stuff was happening? Where were you when the angels were there singing, shouting for joy? So we see scripturally, angels were present at creation. Genesis 1.26 cannot mean a plurality in the Godhead. This would contradict the rest of all of the scripture. That would, but a conversation and even counseling with angels is something that we have biblical precedent for. Matter of fact, I won't go through all of them and bore you or take a ton of your time. But here are times, just here, I'll give you a list of times where God speaks to or counsels with angels in heaven. Genesis 3.22, Genesis 11.7, 1 Kings 22.19, Job 1.6-12, Job 2.1-6, Job 38.7, Psalm 89.5-6, Isaiah 6.1-8, Daniel 10.12-13. So we very clearly have precedent that when he says, let us make man in our image, there's a conversation with an angelic host about God's plan. Not a co-equal, co-eternal son and a pre-existent son. Then God creates humankind in verse 27 and 28. So God created human beings in his own image. In the image of God created he them. Male and female created he them. And remember how God was the one just a few verses ago. He's the one naming everything. He's creating everything and then he's naming it. It's showing his, his authority, his power. He named it. I created the water. I called it sea. I created that. And so he's, he's, he's creating these things and then giving them names because he had authority. He had complete dominion. But look what he does now. Verse 28, then God blessed them and said, be fruitful and multiply. Fill the earth and govern it. To the man and to the woman, to the human, to, well, Adam at this point. Reign over the fish in the sea, the birds in the sky, and all the animals that scurry along the ground. God, who has all power and authority, now gives dominion, gives power and authority to his created being. And guess what? That never changes. 
when he says in the New Testament, even after the fall, he says to Peter, upon this rock, I'll build my church. Peter, I'm going to give you the keys to the kingdom. What, what you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. What you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. He says, greater things than these will you do. God has always wanted to not only be in relationship with his created beings, but he has always wanted to empower us with his power to do great and mighty and miraculous things. It's always been his will. So he says, I created you here. Let me give you dominion. Let me give you authority. Take a leadership lesson from God, though. Just because you built something and it is good, anyone in any type of leadership, either secular, church, anything, anybody lead anybody? Okay. Anybody ever want to lead anybody? Are there days when you don't want to lead anybody? But um, leading people is easy. It's just the people. Just because you built something and it's good doesn't mean you should try to do it all or control it all by yourself. What a great leadership lesson. Because if you have a vision for something that you created, no doubt your vision's clear, you created it, you oversaw it. So nobody's going to do it better than you because you were the one who spoke it into existence. You were the one who built it. You were the one who did it. You were the one who envisioned it. Do you think God handed this to Adam and Eve going, I know they're going to do it just as well as I am? Man, it did not take them long to mess everything up. But we take a leadership lesson from God that I'm going to continue to empower people. I don't care if I create it, if I oversee it, if, if I think I can do it best. We have to be willing to give people, to empower people to do things according to their vision. Want to learn another leadership lesson from God? Genesis 2 tells us. So the creation of the heavens and the earth and everything of them was, was completed. On the seventh day, God had finished the work of creation, so he rested from all his work. And God blessed the seventh day and declared it holy because it was the day when he rested from all the work of creation. Did God need to rest? Did he? I mean, did God really get to the place where he was like, oh, my goodness, that was six long, long days. I just spoke the seas into existence. I just spoke the sun and moon, well, the larger and the smaller, into existence. I just spoke the fish and the birds and the trees into existence. And then... I finally got down in the dirt and made this knucklehead guy named Adam. I am completely famished. I'm exhausted. It is time for a filet mignon in a hammock in the Garden of Eden. Because I'm tired. I mean, did God need a nap? Did God need a day off? Absolutely not. He was not tired. He was not worn out. Just like God didn't need to counsel with angels, he didn't need to delegate authority to Adam. He also did not need a day of rest. But scripture is there to reveal God's plan. God did not record scripture 
for like a heavenly log so that he could say, Gabriel, what did it say again in Genesis? I'm getting old. I've been around for millions of years. Like, that's not why Scripture. Scripture was created to reveal God's plan and purpose for humankind. That's why he doesn't just say, here's a historical account. He's saying, I gave them the dominion and the authority that I had. Guess what I want for you? To have that same dominion and authority. Sin messed it up, but let's go back to the original plan. In the beginning, my plan was to have a relationship with you, a friendship with you, and to give you the authority that I had. So, we read this, and Scripture is there for us to understand God's plan for us. So, what do we get out of this? Well, human beings should, yes, seek counsel, delegate authority, but we should also make time to rest. Now, right off the bat, you know what usually happens at messages like this? It's kind of frustrating. The people who need the rest the most are like, there ain't no way. There ain't no way. I work this job. I, I'm, I'm, I did this. I work here. I, I do this for a living. There ain't no way. I can't, I can't do it. And then people who actually need to get to work <laughs> are like, bless God, I need, I need to step out of more ministries. I'm like, you're doing one. Can I just be transparent right now? So we have people that are like, I'm like, okay, you need to slow down and you need to get to work. I preach it plain. Notice I walked away from my pulpit for that part. But we should take time to rest. I've been in churches where the pastor will tell me, bless God. I'm pastoring here 20 years. I ain't never take a vacation. I ain't never missed a day on a service. And I say, good for you. As for me and my house, we're going to serve the Lord and take it two weekends off. <laughs> Why? Because I don't want my kids to grow up hating ministry because of me. So I'm... I might even, I love to go to churches. I love to be in church. I mean, like, if we're traveling somewhere. I'm like, where's, where's the Pentecostal church, man? I would love, I, I want to go check. I want to just go sit in the church. I love being in church. I will go to church if my family will let me and if our schedule allows. I will go to church every place that I can. I was so, most frustrating trip. And we went, 10 year anniversary, we went to the West Coast, went from Seattle all the way down, ended in Disneyland. And brother Mark Morgan, pastors in San Francisco, if you know him, great speed. Oh my, oh, I look it up and we are like blocks from Mark Morgan's church. Well, we cut it a little close looking at San Francisco and we missed our little trolley car that was going to take us to the, to the um, I forgot the, the, the street car. Oh, what's that thing called? Instead, The BART, the BART. It was going to take us to the BART and we are like, I'm, I'm cutting it real close. And then all of a sudden we get ready to go on. And one of my boys goes, I can't go poo poo down. I can't go poo poo down. <laughs> And I'm like, dude, Starbucks is like nine blocks away. I got to go. Can you hold it? They never can. And if you've ever tried to make them, it's not good. <laughs> so we had to go back to Starbucks. Well, in San Francisco, you can't just go use Starbucks bathroom. You got to buy a $9 drink to use the bathroom in San Francisco. So it cost me money and time. And I got back to the house and missed the start time for the service. And I looked it up, and we were literally like, Three blocks from his church. I was like, oh, I love to be in church. 
All that, all that was just to tell you that. Um, but, but what I'm saying is that, that, that we, we need to make time for us. We need time to invest in our first ministry, and that's our family. And so when somebody says, well, I missed a service in 20 years, I, I, the first thing I think is, man, that stinks for your kids. Why? Because I want to intentionally get away. It's better for both of us. It's better for me, but it's better for you because I come back refreshed, recharged, ready to go. And I once heard this, and I always pass this information on. This is a great, great barometer for every family. Try this. Take this time for yourself, one hour a day, one day a week, one week a year. One hour a day, one day a week, one week a year. That there's time for rest, for rejuvenating, for replenishing, because you cannot give from an empty vessel. What happens is you give from an empty vessel, you burn out and you fall, you flicker out. We don't want that. That's why even as we go into this two-service format, you heard me say, every family, every individual should be serving at least one weekend, but don't do more than two weekends because in our excitement, we could say, sign me up for all of them, and all of a sudden, you're in service Saturday night, Sunday morning, Saturday night, Sunday morning, Saturday night, and three months later, you're just like, I can't do this. I'm done. It's not, it's not healthy, and even though we're going to be here every service, we've started talking about, okay, being intentional. What can we do? to make sure that what days off can we take to make sure that we're fresh because we don't want to burn out. And so, but that being said, again, we need you. So you have to calculate. When I say this, the first things that get cut should not be church ministries. Maybe it's surfing Facebook or something. Maybe cut that first before the ministry. But we need to have that time off. We're, if we're followers of God, then we have to follow his example and take one full day of rest. I know some people are already saying, I can't. Why? Has our job really consumed us or ministry or whatever that much that we cannot take a day off? God tells his people later, I want, you, I want to create a, I'll create a whole day and put it in the law. Etch it on stone and call it the Sabbath day. Now we're freed from the Sabbath. We don't have to, the Holy Ghost is that refreshing and the rest. We don't have a literal Sabbath that we have to follow, but there's still a principle of rest. And although the New Testament frees us from that, we need that holy day separated unto the Lord. And it's in this day and age, I'll watch parents, I, I, my son, I let our kids, I'm not perfect, I'm just telling you what I do, you can decide if it's right or wrong. I let our kids each play one sport a year. And so right now, my son Jude, he's playing flag football. And I was at a game a couple weeks last, last week, and there was a lady there that had her kids, two kids. There was one kid playing flag football, and another one, another two kids were dressed in two different outfits, uniforms, where they were going to be going from that place. And I heard them talking about where they need to run, and they had three games in three locations that day. And I've dealt with people here through the years, 12 years of pastoring, that, that, um, they had their kids in traveling teams and things like that. And I'm not preaching hellfire upon anybody that does a traveling team. But when the traveling teams are always taking place for full weekends and families are never able to serve in church and be in ministry and be in church together, there is a priority that is out of whack there. I oh, bless God, I've just been so busy. We've been traveling for the last six weekends. 
Are we trying to raise professional athletes or are we trying to raise children who are going to prioritize Jesus Christ and make heaven their home? So these parents, you know, so we're, we're going, if we're, if we're doing that, we're going against a creation principle that's way back in the book of Genesis. In the beginning, God had a plan for his people to rest on a holy day. The day itself isn't holy, but you carve out time to say, this is so tonight, tomorrow's my day off. So if you call me tomorrow, my kids, we have fun with this. Tonight, I'll go home and I'll say, whose turn is it? No, go me. And you'll hear Titus's voice or Jude. I think Jude was last week. And you will hear one of my kids go, you called my dad, but it's his day off to be with us. He'll call you back tomorrow. You will get a voicemail from my child, one of my children, saying that because they have fun with it. And they're like, oh, it's your day off. And like, I, I treasure that. I value that. So if you ever don't get texts back and calls back from me, just know that I always will get back to you within a 24-hour time period. Unless you call me on that two weeks that I'm gone. Then somebody else is in charge at that point. My wife and I saw a saying floating around social media that really impacted us. And I know this is hard for me. Because you know what? I'm telling you to do this, and now more and more of you are doing it. And especially after COVID. Like, everybody's like, oh, vacation, oh! And then, like, we have small services, and leadership teams are gone, and everybody's gone. And I'm like, man, I shouldn't have preached that. But honestly, it's... I miss you guys, you know, because everybody plays such a key component of the church. And I hate, I hate preaching empty pews. I love everybody here. But in my heart of hearts, I'm so thankful. I'm so thankful. It's so good for your marriage, for your kids, when you can get away and you can go do something fun. And I thank God that you have the resources to do so. What a blessing. But my wife and I recently saw this, this saying, and it says, if God expected you to get 36 hours worth of work done in a day, he would have given you 36 hours to do it. If you have more to do than time to do it, the simple fact is this. Something in your life is not God's will for you. Hmm. Society needs to hear that. If God expected you to get 36 hours worth of work done in a day, he would have given you 36 hours to do it. If you have more to do than time to do it, simple fact is this. Something you're doing is not his will for your life. It might require that you begin to delegate some things, maybe cut some things, but at the very least, prioritize some things. On the seventh day, God rested. You should too. And I know I'm preaching the choir. My wife will probably send me the link to this at some point. Especially going to a two-service format. Like, I'll probably be out and I'll like look down and there'll be a link. And I'll click on it and it'll, it'll probably be me sitting on a stool talking about resting and taking days off. Like, she'll probably send them. Women do a good job. I can't say women in our house. My wife does a great job kind of keeping her finger on the pulse. Like, you're, you're too busy. You need rest. You need to take it. When's your last day off? Like, and so, like, it's good. It's good. We, we form a good team. But as we close, we all have places we need to be. We have places, we have plans for tonight. What, what's going on tomorrow? What's going on this weekend? What's going on? Oh, we got two services. So you're, some of you are serving this weekend. And that's why you have to keep yourself healthy. 
We have things on the agenda. Work is stressful. Kids can be demanding. Can any parent say amen? Okay. Life is busy. But think about what David wrote in that famous, the man after God's own heart, in that famous 23rd Psalm. Look how it starts off. This is, this is a warrior, a king, a leader. You don't have time to rest. And look what he says. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He maketh me. <laughs> he maketh me to lie down. You know, sometimes God will just take a foot out from underneath you and mess up your ankle and slow you down. You know what I'm saying? Like, God will do that. He maketh me to lie down when I don't want to in green pastures. He leadeth me beside still waters. Do you get a picture there? Okay. Yeah, if the Lord wants to lead me to the Maldives in still waters and put me in an oceanfront bungalow, like, I'm fine with that if he wants to do that. I just got to provide the resources and I'm gone. He maketh me to lie down in green pastures. David don't have time to rest, but, but here he says, God made me lay down. He led me to still waters, peaceful serenity, refreshing. And I'm just ending here because I want to leave us a few minutes. It's before 8 o'clock. Tonight we could just take a moment. We got to pick up kids and we got to run and we got to do stuff and we got things going on, whatever. But can we just set it all aside for a few minutes? Can we just not rush out of here and kick off the next part of life? I know we want to see everybody and talk to everybody, but can we just make this a place of prayer? A little. A little bit lately, we've been kind of chatting a little more in the sanctuary. We've kind of lost that prayer feel again. Let's get that back. Where we can find a place to pray and just say, okay. Because even when we're praying, sometimes we're thinking about what needs to be done. Anybody ever been there? Everybody ever try morning prayer? And in the middle of your prayer, you start thinking about what needs to be done? I tell you, this is a trick from the devil. You don't need rest. You need to keep going because it's celebrated. People who do all kinds of stuff. There's doers and accomplishers and they're elevated and giving awards and promotions and, and all this. But God says, awesome. I can do more with somebody who works hard six days and takes a day off than somebody who works hard seven. Follow my principle and watch what I do. My dad always used to tell me and my sister that. We'd be studying. There's things going on, small groups and youth service and all this. And we'd be like, Dad, we got to study. We have this. We have that. Pam more than me. I'm not. She was more studious than I am. <laughs> and my dad would say, listen, God can do more with a couple hours of study and you keeping him first and going to church events and serving in ministry than you trying to do everything yourself and skipping those things. God will always honor when you keep him first. That's the way we were raised. And he has. He has. He's never failed. But so we can, can we just pause for a minute? Can we just, all the other stuff will be waiting when we walk out the door. Can we just go beside the still waters and lie down in green pastures for a minute here at these altars and just go. Slow down. God's here. 
He wants to talk to you. He wants to hear your voice. He wants you to hear his. He wants you to hear that still small voice, the impression of his spirit. He wants you to lay out some things before him and just set it all aside for a few minutes. So I welcome you to do that tonight, to find a place. These altars are open to come and to just take a deep breath and just begin to talk to Jesus.